0: Good morning, I'm Abby Tiano. I'm, I'm one of the anchors here on the worship team. Um, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Today we're reading out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, To strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials for you know quite well that we are destined for them in fact when we were with you we kept telling you that we would be persecuted and it turned out that way as you well know for this reason when i could stand it no longer i sent to find out about your faith I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you, have, you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith.
1: All right, how's everybody doing? Man, look at this. Man, I, I can't, I just wanna say thank you. Um, you know, we worry sometimes during the week. You know, we, we love being here in the Central Business District and the Entertainment District here in Jack's Beach. We know that God's placed us here, uh, but you know, there's, there's challenges uh, being, being, being here. There's the parking, it's exciting. You know, you got the Donner Run, you have different things that happen. Um, and I would like to say behind closed doors, we're always excited about all of the events that happen down here at the beach. Um, but I just want to look at you in the eyes and say, thank you. I mean, and, and I, again, stream people, I love you, but they love Jesus a little bit more than you do. Um, <laughs> as you fight through the traffic and you're here, um, I'm kidding. I love you. I know we got some people, you know, that, you know, in Charlotte and Philadelphia, Jay Summerall, if you're right there, right there, you're going to laugh. I love you. You're on, you're watching it right now. Um, but it's great to be together. And it's, it's one of those things that, Um, I love church and not because I lead here, but because it is something that reminds me, even today, I mean, it's been one of those weeks that um, I I just needed it this morning. I needed to worship, I needed to see your faces. Uh, And I love the tone of Paul's letter uh, here because he's excited. There's, There's some things where he expresses um, being a little bit nervous about the status of what's going on in Thessalonica, but he's also, uh, there's a lot of enjoyment. And I think about the cynicism, I think, in the last 10, 15 years even, and especially of late when people think about Christians, when they think about church, even people, church people that are deconstructing their faith. You know, I'm, I've am i got church wounds and trauma from just my church experience and all of those that stuff swirling around. And I think people have have their, their way of communicating about church. And I just thought, how refreshing is it to go back to some of the early churches and listen to the excitement that centered around the gospel. It wasn't around all the stuff, it wasn't around all the, you know, what kind of goods and services you could get at church. It was just around the gospel. It was just the excitement that people had gone from death to life. It, they were talking about Jesus nonstop. They were singing, you know, that his, he, he is, he's worthy of his name. Um, and I love that when you read this on the surface, uh, and if you got your Bible, we're in that same passage we just read in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting right at the top. We'll be in these 10 verses. Um, when you read it, it, it almost seems like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, just a, a story. It's the, the Apostle Paul kind of giving you an idea of what's happening. Like, it's just a letter, um, and there's some things in it. And it's, you know, it's got some... Ministry planning and some different things on the surface—it just seems like a narrative that you know Paul's writing. Um, but John Piper, when he talks about the epistles and specifically this particular chapter, he says what's interesting is. Woven into this, there is so much wisdom. There's so much ministry wisdom. There's so much church wisdom that's in this passage that's centered on the gospel, centered on mission and purpose, who we are supposed to be as a people, how we interact with one another. It puts some skin on words like faith and love. Uh, you find out what it means to be a co-laborer. Like it asks the question, like it talks about Timothy being a co-laborer. And for me, when I read a passage like that and I hear that term, I'm like, okay, what's a co-laborer with, with Christ, with, with God? How do I become that? And it gives you these kind of dive in points. You know, what does it mean to fall prey to the tempter? I mean, there's things woven into this passage that could really be sermons unto themselves. And then it takes words like faith and love and it shows you how it's represented with real people. So you can go look at the life of the Thessalonians and you can go study who these people are. You could read these two letters. You could go back to Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 17 and you can get an idea of what faith and love is. Like these obscure words, all of a sudden you have a, a way of diving in. But there's something I really want to look at this morning. Um, and there's terms sometimes that you read when you're, when you're cruising through scripture where you don't slow down enough to go, well, I wonder what this means. And I don't think you have to do that all the time. Like I, I think we, we teach in our Bible study methods class, don't get into the Greek lexicon and like dive down into every word because you're gonna probably misinterpret scripture. There's some people that are smarter than you and me that have translated directly up from the Koine Greek and the Hebrew uh, to give you what, you what you're reading, the ESV or the NIV, these you know NIVs phrase by phrase and ESV is word for word. Um, it's, it's good, read in parallels, do that. That's cool, NIV, ESV or NIV and the message to get a poetic, you know, rendering of scripture from Eugene Peterson. Um, but occasionally it's nice to grab a word that you see a lot and dig down and say, okay, what, what, what is the meaning here and how, where else is it used in scripture? And that's what those Greek lexicons are good for. Um, if you look at verse eight, let's read this together. It says, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. So to, to give you just the, the context, he's talking about how excited he is finding out that his friends are okay. He's, um, like Dave was leading us last week, you know, Paul spent three weeks, three Sabbaths, three Saturdays preaching in the synagogue and um, in, in kind of a high stress environment, but lots of people apparently came to know Jesus so much. So that the church um, was born very quickly in Thessalonica. Um, so he's now in Corinth, and he's nervous. He's nervous because he knows the the, the social climate. He knows the culture. Um, that there's there's all these things coming at them at, you know at at high speeds. Lots of different things happening in a urban area like Thessalonica, a port town. There's you know, just a, a pantheon of God's people study. Philosophy was probably the God, the one that they, everybody was trying to figure out, okay, what is the meaning of life? What is life about? And so there was all this kind of mysticism and he was worried, okay, we're gonna leave. We're kind of a solid foundation and what's gonna happen to all of these young Christians? So what does he do? He says, well, let's send Timothy, our co-laborer in the gospel, we're gonna send him to check on things. He comes back and he, he lets everybody know good news. Check out what th- what's happening with these people. I'm so proud, I'm so excited that you guys are doing so well. And he expresses his care and his love for them. So in verse eight, let's read it again. It says, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all of the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you. So for me, I, I, I wanted to dive in just real quickly into this idea of really live. For now, we really live. Like what about that is making him really live? Like real life, I, I just keep thinking like, what, what is really living, you know? And I think about he's really, and, he, and you can get the tone, he's pretty excited. So I want to look and see what that means. The, the word in the Greek is zao, um, and you can see it on on the screen. It's, it says to be alive, like the the most firm meaning um, in terms of its usage. To be alive, which would make sense, lively. So that's kind of a, a different. Like it's not just I'm alive, like I'm I'm here. You guys are present. It's I'm lively. Like there's a, in breath, not breath in the sense of just taking a breath, but breath in terms of the the idea that think about when you finally get a breath or you know you are running a race and you're and it means so much it's that type of breath and then it says to to enjoy real life in other words if you if you continue to study this it means not enjoyment in the mind thinking of the future, which the apostle Paul talks a lot about, especially in first in, uh, uh, and second Corinthians, like our future hope, this present suffering and our future hope, kind of the, the difference between those things, that this present suffering doesn't compare to the eternal weight of glory. That's a different type of joy. This is, this is a joy, this is a really living, this is enjoying real life, this is a present enjoyment. Now that's interesting to me because I think many times we think about Christianity in that, in that way, like this is how we enjoy, like our joy is really a future joy. Our joy is really, and there is a, a sense of how we can sustain and keep, keeping calm and carrying on, on this side of heaven, knowing that this isn't our end, that death isn't the end of the story, that suffering isn't the end of the story. Absolutely, our, our, our future is set because of what Jesus has done. But, but the question I have is is it possible from what we're reading here is that there's something woven into Paul's relationship with these people with the church and his his relationship with Jesus that it's possible to 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 really live on this side of heaven like can we, can we have enjoyment? Like, what does it mean to really live? What, I mean, what do you think of when you think about enjoyment or like when you think of enjoying life? What are some things? You can throw them out. We're in Bible studies. We're a Bible study. We're small enough crew to, to just chat. Let's, let's talk. Like when you think about enjoyment, now keep it rated G. What, what do you think about? Lounge chair, on the beach. Lounge chair on the beach. Beach people, man. This is Surfing, there you go, Braun Hag. I knew that was coming. Of course. I mean, that's at the top end. I mean, st- I think the there's a Greek translation for really living, and that's zao. And then the beach translation is stoked, right? And get st- We're st- stoked. Paul was stoked, man. He was really alive. So, what else? What What are some other things that you enjoy? Skateboard. Sleeping, skateboarding. You know, you got. We have things in life that bring us joy. And and here's the the beauty of of joy and enjoyment. I think sometimes we divorce joy and happiness in religious circles. Like we have joy, happiness is temporal. And I do, I have said it, it is true. Um, but they're more of a crossover. They're more of a Venn diagram. And this is all kind of mashed up into this idea of, the Apostle Paul is really happy. And he's not just happy, like because of what's happening in the future. He, it's, it's about enjoying, he's enjoying what he's hearing. He's enjoying being in the presence of the, the church at Corinth where he's writing the letter. He's enjoying the fact that God has done so much with the, the Thessalonians, but he's also, it's, this is a relational, there's something kind of woven into enjoyment. And I started thinking about, and this is you know, kind of where I go when I study the Bible. I'm like, okay, I've taken this word, is it, is it possible? So theologically thinking about the dichotomy of the way that we sometimes look at the Bible. Some people, you know, look at, you know, John 10, 10, like, you know, we, that God has come and Jesus says his own words, I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. Or some of your translations say to give it to you in the full. So I immediately go back and I'm like, okay, what does life mean in John 10, 10? Life, it's the same root word. It's zoe, actually, which is interesting. Zoe, life. Um, And it's it's rooted in the same zao. If you go back to the original root word, to have life to the full. So Jesus says we could have life to the full. Now, people can can take that and go like, we're supposed to be happy, you know? Of course, there's missionaries that are gonna suffer and do that, but that can't be everybody. I have a right to be comfortable and we're gonna come to church and we're gonna do our own thing. So I think we we get uncomfortable thinking about that. Are we supposed to just suffer? Because in this passage, the Apostle Paul says it's our destiny as followers of Jesus, Jesus, people that have chosen the way, that are walking towards the, the life that Jesus leads us into through his death, burial, and resurrection. Dave said it last week, this idea of taking up our cross, which is almost an indication, kind of a, a word picture of suffering, what it looks like for us to follow Jesus. So there is suffering, but what does it look like? How does that even, how does that even play out on this side of heaven? Well, for me, I, I, was, I was trying to think of how we enjoy life like pure enjoyment. And for me, I always think about people, like have you ever seen certain people like, they just, they just live life different. Like it's a perspective, it's almost outside of circumstance. And I remember my, my, grand, my grandfather, we called him Daddy, Daddy Chuck. And uh, he, he was just one of those people. He was always, he, he was one of the most positive people on the planet and just the way that he lived life. And you would ask him about the way that he grew up. Like he grew up poor. I think, where's my mom's in here? Is it 13 brothers and sisters? Something, 12 brothers and sisters. That's a lot. And when you have that many, it's like, who's, where, where's the food come from? They, I mean, they, didn't, they yeah, struggled to find things to eat. And, I mean, but the way that he would always talk about it, he would say what? What would he say? What was his, his phrase? Oh, I'm putting my mom on the spot right here. We lived like, you got it. We live like kings. My cousin, actually, who used to be a drummer here, tattooed on his arm. We live like kings. He would talk about World War II. He would, he's like, I went to well, World War II, man. I was, we would ask him about it. He was a, a gunner on a plane, just like a B-52 bomber, just like the Memphis Belle, if you saw the movie. Memphis Belle flew 25 missions. He flew 50. They called him a zero percenter because there's no way somebody's going to fly 50 missions in World War II and live. But he lived and and the way he responds and he lost people. He went through trauma as as a result of the war. But what what does he say when you ask him about the war? We live like kings. He goes, I got to travel all. I was poor from North Carolina. I got to go to Paris. I got to go everywhere. We live like kings. I mean, he did. He was one of those people that gave away the majority of his wealth. I mean, he shot his age at 65 in golf and he kept shooting into his 90s. You know, he's just one of those people, and that's enjoyment right there. I mean, you get on the golf course, he could beat everybody. He was great at poker. I mean, the dude was, I mean, that'll make you happy right there. He got arrested actually in his 70s. Um, he, he, he put to, together a poker game with a bunch of other 70 year olds at his golf club. And uh, my grandfather was good at poker and probably took a lot of people's money. Uh, and somebody's wife probably called, and that was the end. And my, my grandma had to go pick, pick him up in the pokey. Um, but he was happy. He just enjoyed, there was something about his life. He was in that, he was, he was positive and it was, it was so outside of circumstance. So for me, when I think about this idea, and I think I, think I, I have his, his face in my mind. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a way that he thought as he got older um, that really makes me think about what the Apostle Paul's tapping into when it means, when we get to this place of really living. You know, I looked in psychology today and some of my psychological journals, I like to look at, you know, how the human brain works and how we approach enjoyment and some of the things that, that really make us happy. And it, you know, you, you could read about all the myths. I mean, we, I think we all know money is not the, not how, I mean, like everybody's like, well, it'd be nice. I'd be a little happier with some cash, uh, but it doesn't make you, make you happy getting, reaching milestones. Like we always think, well, if I get here, if I do these things, then I'll be really living. It'll be time, and none of those things are true. That's, this is not the Bible talking, this is social psychology. The things that, you know, bring contentment are your contribution, your calling. Usefulness makes us happy. Um, being able to have choice, being competent in the things that we're good, like skills, we, we, we enjoy those, and connection and community. So contribution, calling, choice, competence, capability, connection, community. But the two that they zero in on, they talk about choice and choice is something that we think we want. And then we get a bunch of them. And then that actually we don't really want choice. And then competence and capability is fragile. I mean, you're going to lose it. You're going to get older. Things are going to happen. And then the, your competence and capability, you can never be the goat. You're not going to. I mean, that just it, it, it ends at some point. Tom Brady just retired. It ends at some point. But the, the ones that stick around are the calling in the community. And I thought that was interesting, just reading those psychological journals, that, that, that your calling, your purpose, and community were things that, that make us happy. In fact, I saw this at this, kind of the end of one of these um, articles, that said this. It says, maintaining close social ties and finding a purpose beyond oneself all increase life satisfaction. So, so when we read this, this passage and think about what it looks like to really live, for me, I wanna know, is it suffering? Are we just supposed to suffer and then we die? Or is, there, is there, is, or is it joy? I mean, I think we've said it in here enough. Like, you know, following Jesus is not just unicorns, rainbows, and lollipops. Like, it's not all going to get better instantaneously when you become a Christian. If you're here today and you're like, I had not even stepped into the, the pool of faith. You know, I don't even know, you know, if this is, this is my thing yet. Um, and I, we're going to be honest with you. It's, it's not that. It's not like all of a sudden everything. Now, spiritually, it changes you from the inside out. It's, it's better than that. But we're, what about enjoyment? If we're wired for enjoyment, which God wired us for pleasure, wired us for enjoyment, what, is, what does it look like for us to really live? So that's the question as we kind of dig into this passage is what does it mean to really live? What does it mean to really live? Now, one of the things that you find in Scripture and we'll move past this quickly because it's not in our, in our core text, is how to enjoy common grace. Like the things that hit you on, on the, on the day in, day out. We live at the beach. So one of the common grace things, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, that's common grace. It's like God extends grace to the planet, is to, to live at the beach. That's common grace. Everything good that you experience in life is coming down from the Father in heavenly lights. It's, it's, Everything that you experience that's good comes from God. So us experiencing the beach, experiencing the ocean, uh, surfing, all of the good things that we do, are, they're from God. So there's joy, and that's, we, we feel like we're really living in, in those moments, right? But, but, but Romans 1 teaches us that, that joy should be a roll-up joy. In other words, we don't want to worship the created thing. We want to worship the creator, the one that actually made these things. So those when we when we drink the wonderful glass of wine or when we experience an amazing surfing session or we hit, you know, 350 yard drive, which is no one in here. um, We we our eyes roll up and we say, praise Jesus. The one, the, the, the giver of life, the one that allowed me in this moment, in this broken world, to experience something beautiful with my friends. That's, that's the roll up joy from Romans 1 that we wouldn't worship the created thing, but that we would give glory to God. In fact, God leads us through scripture just to say that that's where our enjoyment is found. Is when, and, and that's how we glorify God, by enjoying Him and enjoying the things that He's created. But as we look at this text, um, we see some things that are the catalyst for Paul and the people that he's with really living. They're really living. And one of them, the first one, I've got three here. One is shared life. I mean, you can kind of feel this in the passage Is he's sharing life with this group of people. If you look at verse six, it says, he has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. What you see there, and I love this is kind of puts you know gets, it's at the, the ground level. this is just human stuff, people that enjoy each other. These are people that not only does he want to to be with them, he's finding out that these people dig him and they want to be with him. there's a, a mutual a mutual thing that's going on there like the, there's a when they, when they come together, they're excited. I mean, do you, know, you have those people when you see them show up, at whatever it is that you're going to and you're wondering if they're gonna be there and then they're there and there's just something, it's like, woo, that's awesome. I mean, outside of romantic love, like just a friendship thing or a family thing. You know, a guy named Noah Kagan, he says, he says this, he's, uh, he was the, the founder of Kinkos. Um, and he, he can be kind of crass and cusses in most of his interviews, but um, he, uh, he said, success is when your children actually wanna be with you when they're, when they're adults. He's like, I've, and he's made, the, the, the founder of Kinko's is wealthy. He says, how many people have all the BS, the wealth, and their kids don't come home for the holidays? He goes, none of that stuff matters. You grind and you, you, you sacrifice your entire life. He goes, at the end of the day, it's this, this, this thing where we all wanna be together. And if that's broken, if that's fractured, he's like, that is, that's failure, that's, that's not success. And I think the apostle Paul, part of what's happening as he's carrying the gospel is God's blessing him and he's really living because he's developing these unbelievable relationships with, with, with people, they're, they're sharing life. Part of what what he's experiencing in the church at Corinth and experiencing um, as he plants these churches, like Thessalonica, is this shared life. It's not just like we said in week two, drive by evangelism. There's an actual investment there. There's a shared life. And there's so much care that he's worried about them. He's like, I wonder what's going on over there. I wonder what's happening. And, And at some point he says, well, we're gonna have to send somebody, you know? He says to Timothy, "What does he say?" He says, "We sent Timothy, who is our brother and coworker." Sometimes you got to send somebody to check on people, and I love that because I think about I think about church, I think about people in general. Like, have you ever done that? Like, we're wondering wondering where somebody is. You know, where's Freddie? We don't know where he may. We haven't seen him in a while. We've got to send somebody look for Freddie, right? I remember one night when the when the church first opened in 2015. Um, I came up here, the alarm would go off a lot. The door was kind of, the, the lock was loose and people would yank on it. You know, they would, um, they would engage not in the Holy Spirit, but in the spirits around the beaches at the beach bars. And they would just want to go to the bathroom or whatever, and they would yank on the door and the alarm would go off and it, I'd come up here and the cops would show up and the whole thing. And I live really close, so my name's the first on the alarm deal, um, which is awesome. Um, and, <laughs> I come up here, it was three in the morning. And one time I came up here and I I looked through the glass. This isn't funny, it's, it's really sad. There's a guy, you know where the coffee is, the, the urns are, where the, we clean the table off during the week. He was laid out on the thing, sleeping, um, just taking a nap. And uh, and the alarm was going off. Like he didn't, it didn't matter. He just was fine with it, it was okay. I mean, and it's so loud, it was just a miracle that he was asleep. Um, and. And I got home and, and he, the cops showed up, they put him in the car. And I just said, don't, uh, you know, he was in the military. I said, just tell his superior officer. It'll, everything will be taken care of. Um, and I got home and I said, I told Beth what happened. She goes, oh, somebody got loose. And I said, yeah, she's like, yeah. Cause I said he was, he was with his friends out the, you know, his buddies in the, in the, in the, in the Navy. And, uh, he, he just got lost, and they—they—I don't know what happened. And she goes, "Yeah, sometimes somebody just gets loose," and uh, I was like, "Yeah, it's very true. Like sometimes you just lose somebody. You know what I mean?" Um, and on this, on the more serious level, it's like that—that that happens to us as we come together as the church, like when when we're. when we're we're kind of on this road together as people, it's less about the, we're coming to get good teaching, we're gonna drink our coffee and we're gonna go out. There's a really unbelievably beneficial and life-giving shared life thing in the fact that sometimes we gotta send somebody to come after you. Sometimes, and, and if we don't do that as a church, if we don't do that as pastors, if we don't do that as people, we tell our city group leaders, when somebody's like engaged, for, like in city group, which is our, our small groups, it's like a big church made small. It's like how you live life, shared life with people. When they are, they, they just stop showing up. There's a few things that sometimes people just go to another church and that's fine. We wanna know so we can shepherd well. But, but many times, what I've realized over you know, 18 years of ministry is many times there's crisis going on. Many times somebody's lost. A marriage is fractured. Somebody's walking out on somebody. Somebody's abandoning somebody. Somebody has lost their mind. They've lost their faith and they've lost their way. And you've gotta say, Timothy, our brother and co-laborer, we gotta send him to check it out. And that's part of shared life. And what's interesting about this passage, and I think it's something that we should examine in our own hearts, in verse five, it says, for this reason, the apostle Paul says, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. He's talking to them. He says, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that, your labor, that our labors might be in vain. He was worried about them. He was worried they were gonna lose their faith. He had invested time in them and not, it wasn't about notching a belt, and a, hey, we had, you know, we had baptized 250 there in Thessalonica, and now I'm worried it's, the numbers are gonna go down. He, he wasn't worried about that. He was really worried about them. And so we see we sh- there should be pain, and that's happening in our culture right now. I mean, is any, is anybody, you know, buddy, you know somebody that you're surprised that they've disengaged in church life, but really they're, they've deconstructed their faith to the point where they don't really believe in Christianity anymore. Their version of, of faith isn't even close to what we're reading in this text. That should break your heart. That should prompt in the church. And it's one of the reasons I think, again, of course, I'm gonna be one of those people that, that is like the chamber of commerce for going to church. But you, it is so beneficial because you need somebody when that happens. You need a group of guys. You need a group of girls that are gonna come call, that, are, that you're close to, that, that you trust, that are gonna come around you when, you when you lose your mind and you're being irrational in your marriage or you're being irrational in terms of the way that you're looking at your relationship with Jesus. And people are gonna come in and they're gonna go, hey man, what's up? What's going on with you? And in a loving way for the guys, they're gonna poke you in the chest. And say, where have you gone? What, what has happened to you? Let's sit down lovingly to say, hey, we get it. Seasons of life change things. And we we can't trust our gut. We can't trust our emotions. We can't trust our feelings because they're like this from day to day. But the word of God, it doesn't change. It's the same. And that's the filter for our life. Jesus is the filter for our life. So we should be in pain. And then we should be so excited when somebody doesn't. There should be joy when, when people don't. He says, for now, we really live. This is the excitement for us. When people come to know Jesus, it should be a celebration. It was why when we talked a few weeks ago, I talked about a couple of people that are new believers and how fired up they are. And I think it built everybody's faith in the room. I could almost feel the spiritual temperature in the room rise because you're like, this is awesome because I carry the ministry of reconciliation in my chest and people are coming to know Jesus, and I know that it's real, and I'm watching people go from death to life. I'm hearing stories about people going from death to life. Shared life is really living. It is. It's outside of circumstance. Shared life together, centered around the gospel. Another thing is shared purpose. If you go back uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 18, just flip one page back in most of your Bibles. Look at this, when we think about shared purpose, the Apostle Paul's in this letter, he's talking to him, he says, for we wanted to come to you. He's talking about, hey, we, I wanted to come myself and hang out with you people again. He said, certainly I, Paul, did, he tried again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope? And he describes, he goes, this is, this is living. He says, for what is our hope? Our joy or the crown in which we glory in the presence of the Lord in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes, he says, and this is the rhetorical question, is it not you? He's letting them know, he's letting them know I, we love you, but you, the fact that you are following Jesus, the fact that you are part of the church, the fact that you're in this with us is the thing that's breathing life into our chest. It's why we are happy right now. He says, indeed, you are our glory and joy. So what does he mean? Well, if you go look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul, when he's talking to the Corinthians, he even develops this thought even more. He says that the love of Christ has compelled us. He says, this is the thing that, that moves us because we're convinced that, that one died for all and therefore all died. And when all of this happened, when he died, and He died for all, that that those who live should no no longer live for themselves. We're not living for ourselves, but we live for Him, Jesus, who died for them and was raised again. He's like, our life is different. So when all of a sudden we see that you're living, we're carrying this amazing news. God has rescued us and saved us, but now we get to carry this amazing news, this redemptive news, the news of salvation and reconciliation, forgiveness of sins. We get to carry that to other people. We get to say, this is where freedom is found, to tell people that Jesus brings life, that he's, he's leading us to an abundant life. And when people actually wake up to that reality, when we begin, we get to have a whole group of friends. I, the great thing about the church and this, this shared life and shared purpose of carrying the gospel, am I supposed to quit preaching now? I'm kidding, I'm so sorry, I can't help myself. Um, we got shared life, shared purpose, it's, it, it, it is the thing that brings us joy, brings us together. He's talking about the collective, this idea that we, we had, you know, we've got this church, now we've got this church, we've got these people, now we have these people, he's watching it grow, but it's also, it's just like, man, look at the team that we have. Look at the, the people that we have. And when you think about collective and shared purpose, shared life, amazing. We take care of one another, but shared purpose, when we all of a sudden, we, different people, different walks of life, we come together and we're in it for one singular purpose. We exist to invite anyone and everyone to experience the unending ocean of grace. There's an excitement to that that the whole idea of shared, ask Dave, he's a, he's a fireman, what it's like to fight fire with guys, if he, what kind of relationship. Now, he, he talks about some of them like they're knuckleheads, but in the, in the day in, day out, they've got a shared purpose in what they do and how they operate and what, how they work. You, you talk to somebody that, that was in Vietnam or somebody that, that fought the war in Afghanistan, if those, those people find each other, they'll, they'll express some of the trauma that they have, but they'll, I mean, immediately, they will engage with each other because of that shared purpose. And there'll be joy when they find one another, when they talk to one another. I mean, you, you, you see that happen. I mean, watch Remember the Titans. I mean, I mean, anybody watch Remember the Titans? It's been around for a while. If you haven't, I'm very sorry, I'll ruin it for you. Um, but Remember the Titans, they, you, know, you got civil rights movement in 1971, and these, the, you've got black players, white players, from different walks of life, different neighborhoods. Originally, they had different coaches. They're all mashed together on one team. And you see the, the, the struggles kind of you know, break out, but they have one singular purpose. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the civil rights movement, color didn't matter anymore. Nothing really mattered anymore. And there was a joy that you see that, ex, that gets expressed in that movie. If you've never seen that movie, watch it. I mean, just even the dance that they do, it's awesome. I mean, they get together and there's, a, there's something that emanates from that shared purpose um, that leads us to know, okay, this is really living. Like you could go buy a car. There's all kinds of things that we think will, will bring us life, be, be wealthy. Do. The human aspect, we go back to this I- idea of connection and community. Psychology today, we don't, I mean, the, the Bible's been leading us here forever. We read in these psychological articles in just in 20, that one was from 2019. They're like, goodness gracious, you know where people get get happiest? Connection and community. Calling, contribution and calling, usefulness, shared purpose. I'm like, it's right here in the text. These people were sharing life together. They were they were on mission together. They were co that was, that's the word co-laboring for the gospel. So so amazing. Church is, church is so great when it's aligned. I mean, we felt the pain when it's misaligned. I mean, I think in the last, you know, in the last four years just feeling the misalignment when the focus gets off and people start focusing on politics or focusing on the things that they don't need to really focus on, or it's just less than. It's not that we don't ever think about politics, but if we don't keep the main thing, the main thing, things get misaligned pretty quick. And instead of joy, instead of happiness, instead of shared life and shared purpose, we're, the church is a miserable place to be. You're looking at the back of somebody's head thinking about what they posted on Instagram about some political candidate. Rather than saying we are here to say Jesus is worthy of his name and to walk out of this place and say, hey, if you're wondering why I, I'm, I'm joyful, if you're wondering why my life is, you know, might not be perfect, but for whatever reason, I have a smile on my face and I have brothers and sisters that I, that I, that I live life with, where, where all this comes from, I can point to Jesus. I can point to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, he has saved my life. You might have your issues with the Bible. You might have your issues with church. You might have your issues with, you know, even people saying the name of Jesus. But I can tell you, you can look at my life, and I can tell you, he's changed my life from the inside out. And when you start to get in that zone, we've got shared life, we've got a shared purpose that is aligned as a church. And last, um, we have shared struggle. Go back into the text. The apostle Paul says, we sent Timothy who is our brother and coworker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ. Why? To strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Why, does, why do these people, why do, why do you think they might need strength and encouragement? He says, so that no one would be unsettled in these what? Trials, these struggles. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. There's something about, no, I, I don't think we, we think about joy or happiness or enjoyment and trials, but the, but the reality is, I don't think there's, there's more joy that I've seen on the faces of other people that I've experienced in my life than a shared struggle with another human being. in, in the. In the, in the way that that brings people together and, and the, the joy that you have walking into, walking out of that trial together, walking into that place of victory. Again, you know, I, I talk, I've talked many times about my, my own struggles with um, chronic pain, undiagnosed neurological disorder, um, and the, the ensuing uh, just anxiety and depression that, that followed that in the first season of that and in the, the more recent season of that. And, and what it looks, and I've said this to many people, I would never wanna wish that on anybody. In fact, if it went away, I would never wanna go back there, ever. But in looking at what's happened and looking in, in, in my vantage point of what has been shaped and what has happened as a result of that and what it's done in my relationships with my, my kids and my, my wife and with you people, how it's affected the way that I preach the gospel, I would never give it up in a million years, that struggle. I wouldn't, and that's, that is hard for me to say, it's hard. But there is something about the struggle and the trial, this shared struggle that I have with you that brings joy. Why do you think guys that fight wars together, guys that are military buddies, why do you think there's a joy when they, they're around each other, when they see each other, when they can nod and look at each other and they don't even have to say a word, it's because they've shared a struggle together and there's an explosion of joy in their heart. You know, me and Antley Fowler, some of you know him, he's preached here um, several times. He was the lead pastor at River City Church. And you know, when I was on staff there, we were friends. My wife's probably better friends with, with Laura, his wife, um, because, you know, when you work with somebody and I, I was, uh, he was my boss, it's, you know, you got the, the, some of the complication that goes with that. Um, and we were friends, but it was interesting when, when I, Came to plant Ocean City Church, and as the years progressed, we became close friends. Um, I mean, he's one of my best friends in the world, and why? Shared struggle. I, I didn't realize I in I. Had to, you have to always have to apologize when you take a role that somebody had, and you were you worked with them or around them, and all of a sudden you're starting to do the things that they did. What you realize is, man, I didn't know at all the struggles you were going through, and how hard this was. And he would just look at me at certain seasons in the church, especially in the early days. Just things are hard, you know. The, the the it's just no way to describe what it's like to to take on the mantle of being a shepherd. And I'm not trying to build myself up. It's just tough. There's things you walk through. And he would just look at me, and he would come. He would just tears in his eyes. He'd come out and visit me every week and just say, "Man, how are you doing?" He wasn't checking on. You know, you know, are you preaching good theology? You know, how are you doing with this? Organizationally, what are you doing? You know, you did last week's sermon was kind of crap. You need to work on that. It was, how's your family? What's going on in here? How's your relationship with Jesus? Are you spending time with Jesus? Are you worshiping? Because he knew, he knew what, he goes, what you need most is not all the things you think you need. I need to figure out how to use QuickBooks and make sure people are giving, you know? He was like, how's, what's going on in here? And there was a shared struggle all of a sudden it was instantaneous where we became such close friends. And there was a, I don't think I've laughed more in my life than I have in the last 10 years in being his friend because we sit down at night, hang out together, and we, can, we have so much to share now together in the positions that we've been in. And we, we do as a church, as we struggle and co-labor together in carrying the gospel to, to, to share life together I mean, to share the the purpose, a purpose that reverberates into eternity, like one singular purpose. There's a bunch of different passionate people in here with lots of passions, but we have one purpose. You were created for one purpose. You were created, Colossians 1 and 3 tell us, look, you were created by and for Jesus, for his glory, for his renown, for his, just to, to shine a big, bright, beautiful light on him. That's why you're here, whether you believe it or not, That is what, and that is where your joy is found. And we get to do that together in our shared life, our shared purpose, and our shared struggle. You know, I think about my granddad and he enjoyed life like no one else. Um, But when when I look at his life, one of the reasons he had such joy is he was just so unselfish. as as cool as he was, and he was one of the funniest people. I mean, my grandmother, uh, I mean, together, they were a a dynamic duo. I mean, they were hilarious and could dance like you could never believe. My my grandmother was actually a a stand-up comedian in Chicago for a little while. Um, I mean, they were just crazy, quirky, um, awesome, but unselfish. He just was unselfish with his life. He gave himself away. And he, he became, listen to this, became a Christian in his 70s. Like he just, you know, he was one of those people I'm happy without it and kind of cruised cruise and did his thing. But in, in his perspective on the joy that it brought him to be a follower of Jesus, and it was like every room that he walked into, wherever he went, he literally would see you. And if he didn't know you were a Christian, there'd be a tear coming out of his eye, ready to tell you, hey, none of this other stuff matters except Jesus. I mean, he just wanted to give, that's all he wanted to give you after he became a believer. He didn't care about anything else. didn't care about trying to make you laugh, although he did, is he wanted to give you Jesus. He unselfishly gave himself away, and it just makes me think about Jesus in Philippians 2. Like when you think about this this commonality, what's what's the common thing that we have here in all three points today? Shared. It's shared. It's this unselfish thing, and Jesus, He he, he he gave His very self, He shared Himself with us. He gave Himself to us, He gave, gave Himself away. How did it all happen? Well, I think about the Trinity, which is a weird thing to think about, right? Like how did Jesus end up coming to give His life away? Well, they were in a shared life, shared purpose community, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, together, not needing us, but allowing their love to spill out over creation, extending their love out to us, which is just a a mind blowing thing. But at some moment, there's a, I I just think maybe, maybe this isn't theologically correct, but there's a, there's a conversation happening in in amongst the beautiful, wonderful community of the Trinity saying, we got to send somebody. We gotta send somebody, because they're lost. Because they're lost. Somebody's gotta go. Who are we gonna send? And the only one that could, could do what needed to be done was God himself, was Jesus. And Jesus comes, and I love the way that Jesus himself represents this in Luke chapter 15 he's stalking, talking to the Pharisees and he's talking to all these people that are surrounding that think it's, impo- you know, a lot of these people think it's impossible to be a part of the things of God. And they think, what do I have to do to get to God? And Jesus is trying to describe to them that, hey, this, is, this isn't how this works. There, there's, a, there's a relentless pursuit. He's willing to leave behind the 99 that think they've got it all put together. And the one sinner that repents, the one that realizes that they're broken, the one that, that is too far gone, they think they're too far gone, they think they have no way of coming home. He says, that's the one that, that we're coming. There's gonna be a party. He literally says that the angels celebrate when one sinner comes home. And I think about that, like one person, And Jesus is the guy that's there because he needed to come get us. And in the story of the prodigal son, which is in the same passage, you know, he's talking to the older brother and he's, the older brother's angry and frustrated. He's like, this guy has squandered his whole life and, and, and been a mess. But Jesus is the one that was sent to go get the younger brother who is many of the people in this room because somebody had to go. And I don't know where you are or what your story is or how you walked in here, but I, I just wanna invite you, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm not talking about if you've ever gone to church, if you've ever been, you know, you know you've know, you kind of, you've been in the things of God over the years and then that's kind of been, I've just kind of meandered in and out of church and it's a good idea to be here with my family, but I'm talking about in your life said, I, I don't have it all figured out, but I believe that he died for my sins and I know that I'm broken and I don't, I don't deserve a shot, but from, from what is being read and from what's being sung and from what I've, I've gathered here and what, the, what something's telling me in my, in my mind is that I just have to surrender. And I just have to give up, which seems the opposite. To, to win in this whole situation, I gotta just let go. That's absolutely true. Because there's a, there's a Savior that's come today. He's come to get you. God himself sent the Savior to come get you. He's in the room pursuing you. And I'm telling you, just as, a, as somebody that, that got got, he came and got me. This is a moment to respond. He has paved a way with the cross of Jesus Christ. He sacrificed and shared his, his own blood, poured it out on a tree and in the soil of Calvary for you so that you could come home, so that you could be free. And as the apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, be reconciled to God. Come on home is what he's saying. And I'm telling you, come on home. In a few moments, we're gonna have ministry together. People will come forward for prayer for a lot of different things because I feel like God's moving today and the spirit of God's moving. But if you, if you don't know Jesus, <laughs> as soon as Dan asked people to come forward to, to get prayer today, I'm telling you, you should, don't hesitate, just come on up. And you tell the person that's praying for you, just say, hey, I'm, this is, I'm walking into faith. I've been around this stuff for a while, but this is new for me. I'm in it and I just want you to know as you pray for me I'm 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 becoming a Christian today. I want to know Jesus today. You do that for me? God's coming for you.